Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. This is Jamie Rosenberg, Assistant Editor for the American Journal of Managed Care, and during this week's podcast, we'll be discussing the relationship between obesity and cancer. Obesity is on the rise in the United States, with seven states having obesity rates of at least 35% in 2017, compared with zero states in 2012. Moreover, all states have more than 20% of people with obesity. And while the U.S. has progressed in cancer survivorship in preventing certain cancers, such as those related to smoking, the same hasn't been seen among cancers related to obesity. In fact, obesity-related cancers have climbed in the past decade. The issue of obesity-related cancers is the focus of this month's issue of Evidence-Based Oncology, a sister publication of the American Journal of Managed Care, and during this week's podcast, we sat down with Dr. Deborah Pat, the Vice President of Texas Oncology, about the issue, how the health system is addressing it, and how obesity affects different populations, such as postmenopausal women, differently. Hi, Dr. Pat. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, Jamie. Thanks for having me. So the U.S. has made gains in cancer survivorship and in preventing cancers related to smoking, but cancers related to obesity have climbed over the past, I'd say, 10 to 15 years. Do you think there's enough awareness of this challenge among primary care physicians, payers, and oncologists? It's a great point that you make, Jamie, and what we're seeing are several trends. One trend is that we are better at um, treating and uh, preventing smoking-related malignancies, but two, that obesity-related malignancies are growing as the epidemic of obesity is continuing to increase. And also, obesity-related cancers are happening earlier and earlier in people's lives as obesity is happening earlier and earlier and is happening to more of the country. So to your question, I think that um, there is awareness of the obesity epidemic. What I think is harder is effective action. There are so many components uh, in the lifestyle in which patients um, uh, engage in their health and wellness to have a lean body mass like exercise, uh, diet, nutrition, um, healthy behaviors, um, that it becomes hard to act and engage in, in, in ways to partner with patients effectively. Right. And is the health system addressing the issue of disparities in obesity-related cancers, and are some parts of the country doing a better job than others? Yes. So, yes, the health system is addressing the issue of disparities in obesity-related cancers. Interestingly, um, some early research um, suggests that sometimes obesity can act differently, um, uh, contributing to risk um, among different ethnic groups. So yes, there, there is research in that area. I think it's really important. And yes, there are parts of the country that are doing a better job than others. Um, I'm sure you've seen things that are simple, like uh, wellness scores in communities. You know, to what degree are, are individuals that live in communities walking, um, exercising, is health and wellness sort of a part of their regular routine? Are communities um, more obese than others? So there certainly are places that tend to be more fit than others, and I think that a lot of those are manifestations of policies and um, interventions uh, to have a healthier population. And before we started this podcast, we were kind of talking about how it could be kind of tricky for a provider 
to kind of know how to talk about this with patients. So if you kind of wanted to walk through how you would handle this and how you would go about talking to a patient about this, because a lot of providers we've spoken to don't know the right way to go about it. They don't want to offend a patient, but they also want to give them the facts. So if you wanted to talk about that. Sure. So it can be tricky talking to patients about a very sensitive subject uh, like obesity. Um, I tend to think of myself as a clinician, as someone who provides facts and help patients have a good outcome. And so in doing that, I try to be as fact-based as possible um, because I think people fear um, judgment about um, obesity or their body habitus in general. And so if you can be fact-based and partner on a collaborative strategy, I think that's in the best interest of patients and frequently will diminish their, um, uh, their likelihood of being offended. So I may say something like, um, I noticed that your um, weight has increased on our scale and your body mass index is 31, which plots out as obese. And we know that that is a risk for you as a breast cancer survivor. I want you to be happy and healthy. How do you think we can partner to reduce your risk? Yeah, that's definitely a really good way to go about it. And so kind of switching gears a little, there's a lot of work being done with genetic testing and biomarkers and different types of cancer. Is any research being done with biomarkers for obesity and how this can increase existing cancer risk? There is a lot of thought around uh, an endpoint of obesity being inflammation, and there are a lot of markers of inflammation like IL-6, among others, um, that are um, a surrogate endpoint for biomarkers uh, of obesity and how that influences cancer risk is being evaluated. So we're trying to understand it better because it, it is complex. There's so many factors that play in. Um, it's not only what you eat um, by caloric content or the composition of what you eat or uh, um, how frequently you eat, but also how much energy you're expending. Uh, what does your exercise platform look like? So it's important to use biomarkers to try to contribute to the understanding as we want to know how the various features of things that contribute to obesity can influence cancer risk. And now looking at different groups of women, can you talk about how obesity affects cancer risk in postmenopausal women? So in postmenopausal women, obese patients have an increased risk of recurrence of breast cancer and uterine cancer. That's a different risk than for premenopausal patients. It may be multifactorial. There may be some inherent risk. And then some of our mechanisms of cancer treatment may be less effective in obese patients. So for example, breast cancer patients who we know postmenopausal breast cancer patients who are obese have a higher risk of recurrence. It may be because um, when, you make synthetic, when you make estrogen, natural estrogen in a postmenopausal woman, you're converting uh, androstenedione and testosterone to estrogens. And that reaction is catalyzed by an enzyme called aromatase, which we block with a drug called aromatase inhibitors to treat breast cancer. If you have more fat because you're obese, we know that the same dose of aromatase inhibitors may not effectively block uh, the enzymatic conversion to estrogen. Those patients may not have their estrogen successfully blocked as well as um, a normal weight patient. And what supports do you think payers should be offering women in menopause to help them address weight changes? 
I think it's complex. Um, uh, I know many payers have tried to have healthy living campaigns in many different ways, both encouraging diet, encouraging weight loss among um, obese patients, and trying to facilitate exercise. I wish I knew what the right answer was, but the truth is I think it's all very important. You know, here's what we know. We know that um, eating lean is important. I try to give people generic guidance. I, I, I will credit Michael Pollan to the guidance of, you know, eat food, like non-processed food, real food, mostly green, not too much, um, uh, is, a, is a reasonable way to approach nutrition. I think the society we eat a lot of um, primary carbohydrates and breads that contribute to weight gain. Um, and so I think following the Michael Pollan mantra is a really reasonable way to try to approach healthy eating. Um, but it's not just about eating. It's also about exercise. So I think trying to facilitate ways that patients will exercise three to five hours per week um, is important. Having some balance of cardiovascular training and strength training is important. But I try to explore with patients what they're interested in because the truth is is that any strategy that they're not interested in, that they're bored with, that they find too difficult, they're just not going to do. So I sometimes counsel people anything from walking the mall if window shopping seems exciting to them or swimming because I live in Texas where it's frequently hot outside, swimming seems attractive. Um, but I try to discern from patients what it is that they like. So I think those are important features of fitness that influence healthcare outcomes. But also um, exercise contributes because when many patients undergo surgery for the treatment of cancer, patients' recovery is much faster if they um, have exercised and their cardiovascular health is improved. So what we see here is that uh, diet, exercise, physical fitness can influence cancer outcomes in many different ways. And what do we know about the importance of weight loss once a patient survives cancer treatment? And how do you address this with breast cancer patients you see in clinical practice? I know we talked about this a little before, but would you address it differently with someone who has survived cancer? Um, I would. Uh, so we know that among postmenopausal patients who survive breast cancer, that they have a lower risk of recurrence if they are not obese. And so um, I tend to give nutritional guidance and I tend to give guidance around exercise. And again, I try to explore with them what will work because I find any strategy that they're not interested in is going to be challenging. And then also any strategy that's too difficult, they might deem a failure and then not do anything. So I try to see what their, um, what they're predisposed to do. And again, I, I tend to give the guidance of nutritionally eat food, mostly green, not too much, and to try to exercise that three to five hours per week to find out what they're doing and to try to push them to do um, a little bit more. So every patient that I see in clinic, we have some discussion about their wellness and what they're doing to make sure that they're getting adequate sleep, to make sure that they're exercising and they're making good nutritional choices. And is there any evidence that obesity limits the effectiveness of cancer therapies? And if so, why does this occur? There is evidence that obesity limits the effectiveness of, of some cancer therapies. So a great example of that is in postmenopausal women with breast cancer, we frequently treat estrogen-positive breast cancers with aromatase inhibitors, drugs like letrozole or Femara, anastrozole or aromadex, aromasin or eximestane. Um, those drugs act by preventing the peripheral conversion of, of uh, testosterone or androstenedione into estrogens. And you can imagine it's the same dose for every patient. 
So if you have um, a 150-kilo patient or a 60-kilo patient, you're giving them the same dose of drug. What we've learned is the obese patient is at higher risk of recurrence, and it appears to be directly related to this because we, you know, if you have more fat, you can have more um, aromatization of testosterone products without being blocked appropriately. Does the effect of obesity on a person's mental health also impact their cancer risk or their chances of survival once they're diagnosed? So again, it becomes very complex exactly which part of obesity is influencing the outcome. I think we don't really understand as well yet today. Um, uh, you know, is it diet or, you know, is it predominantly diet or is it predominantly exercise? Um, is it predominantly percentage of fat? Is it predominantly BMI? I think we don't know the answers to those questions yet. Um, uh, and I think that more more research is very important in that area. But at the end of the day, I think what we bring to practice is that as clinicians, we all have an obligation to talk to our patients about nutrition, wellness, and exercise to try to get them on the right path to having a good outcome for their cancer. Great. So that's actually all the questions I had for you. Was there anything else you thought was important to bring up or mention before I let you go? I don't think so. I think that covers it. Thank you for addressing this topic. Great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on and talking about it with me. For more, visit AJMC.com or see the show notes. You can get in touch with us by emailing info at AJMC.com or by following us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. And finally, if you like the podcast, don't forget to read and subscribe. Thanks for tuning in.